Good morning. It is such an honor to get to be here with you today. My name is Janice. I am the Director of Missions and Outreach here at Mount Horeb. I've been on staff, though, I feel like since the dawn of time. I was the children's director, and I'll be honest, children's ministry can make you feel like you're getting a little older when all of your little, um, little folks that you're serving are so young. But I got to serve with them for many, many years, and it's just a privilege. This room right here and you people right here are very, very special to me because this is where our time at Mount Hor began. My family, we came and we visited for the first time, and we sat right there where Joe and Terry Kirkland are sitting. That was kind of our spot. Um, and our kids grew up here. I joined the staff as the children's ministry director. And what was so fun is we used to do children's sermons back in the day. Does anybody remember those? Where we'd invite the children to come forward and they would sit up here. It used to be a little bit more friendly for them to get up here and sit and we would give a message. And y'all, it was always this moment of um, excitement, but terror because you never knew what was going to happen. It was so unpredictable. The one thing that was predictable is the answer to every question was always what? Jesus. So if I ask you a question today and you're unsure of how to answer, just know Jesus is always our safe bet, right? Um, well, I also felt my first call to ministry sitting in this room. I felt my first call to missions sitting in this room right where, right where you all are. And it was from this place that I was commissioned and launched to go on my very first mission trip. It was back in 2006 after Hurricane Katrina, and there were some folks from our church who were leaving and going down to Van Cleve, Mississippi to do um, some rebuilding in that community. But the church there asked if they would send some workers to do vacation Bible school. I was like, I'm your girl. Like, that's me. I know how to do that. I can't build. I don't know how to use a hammer, but I can come do VBS. And so we had a team of folks and off we went. I was so excited till I got there. And then I learned it was hot, like Mississippi, it's hotter than it is here. Can you believe it? And we slept on the floor in a crowded room. Everything about it was uncomfortable to me, everything. But then when we went in our van to go and see the devastation, it was overwhelming. People who had lost everything. And I began to wonder, how in the world can I make a difference here? And so I remember one night particularly, I just felt so discouraged and I just said, God, I am done. Like, please, you asked me, I said, yes, I earned the badge. I'm gonna put it on my good Christian sash, right? My mission badge, got it, good, check it off the list. Never doing this thing again. I told him that out loud. You know better, right? Like you guys were saying, oh, Janice, you know that's trouble. But I really did. Instead of turning towards Jesus in those moments, I turned away from him and said, no, not me. That's for somebody else. I'm gonna stay right here and I'll do some really good things. And I did. And the truth was, is that the Lord was working in my heart over the next few years. He gave us as a family an opportunity to sponsor a child through Compassion International. And our worldview began to open up as we wrote letters and began to understand a little bit more about the rest of the world. We learned about um, that so much of the population doesn't have clean water. And so my daughter said, let's do something about that. And so she and some friends started an organization and we started raising money to drill wells in Africa. Again, my worldview began to, to shift a little bit. So when I was asked to serve on a trip to Haiti, 
three years later, I think honestly that holy amnesia had set in because I'd forgotten, you know, that I'd said no and how hard it was. And I said yes. And off we went. My daughter was on the trip and she was heaven bent on making a difference, which means I was going with her really more to protect her than to um, feel like I was really called to to the mission. We landed in Port-au-Prince and I don't know if anybody's ever been to Haiti, but Port-au-Prince feels a lot like what I imagine hell will feel like. Not just the heat, not just the smell of burning coal, but the devastation, the poverty, the hopelessness, the darkness, the number of people who were truly living without any hope at all. And I thought to myself, what have I done? All of my feelings from my first trip came rushing back And I thought, I might just die here, was my first thought. And my second thought was, how am I going to get through this? And I'd like to think that that three years had provided some opportunity for me to grow as a Christian, to, to grow and mature a little bit in my faith. But I think the truth really was that I was so desperate for Jesus I didn't have any other outlet but to call on his name and ask for his help. And I did. First trip, I turned away from Jesus. Second trip, I turned towards Jesus. And I said, Jesus, would you break my heart for what breaks yours? Would you give me eyes to see this world right in front of me through your eyes? Would you allow my hands to be effective and my feet to go where you send me? You know, I just, I just said, I can't do this without you. But Jesus is faithful. You know, when we turn towards him instead of away from him, He is faithful. And instead of hopelessness, he enabled me to see opportunity. Opportunity for Jesus to receive glory, for his name to be made famous in that land, for people to come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, for the hungry to be fed, the the sick to be healed, the poor to have a home to live in. All this opportunity instead of hopelessness. And I realized The truth was, it wasn't about Janice Albergati at all. It was all about, here's here's your question, who? Jesus. It was all about Jesus. And our theme for this series is called Cover the Earth. And it speaks to the very heart of our missional God and the calling that he's given his church. You know, God created the world with this desire to be in fellowship with all the people in creation. But we know the story, right? Back in Genesis, Adam and Eve, the first people, they rebelled against God. They disobeyed him. Sin entered into the earth. And then it began to permeate and affect everything. Disease was introduced. Disaster was introduced. Famines, droughts, cultural decay, and evil of all kinds. It's not hard to look around at our world today and come to the conclusion that this is not what God intended. His desires for all things on earth to be as they are in heaven underneath his rule and his reign. But God's word reminds us that even when everything seems to be falling apart around us, that we can have hope. As Christians, we have the hope that one day Christ will return and restore and make everything right. 
Until then, in this period between Christ's first coming, or the inauguration of his kingdom, and his second coming, which will be the consummation of his kingdom, we have an opportunity to join him in demonstrating and announcing that he's the king and that he reigns. To go and cover the earth and help to bring the truth of his love to those who are on it. His saving grace and his presence can be made known from here to everywhere. Would you pray with me? God, we just thank you that you've brought us here today, that you are a God of amazing hope, and that you have a message for us that will hopefully move in our hearts and enable us to join you more fully in the work that you want to do in the world. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O God, for your kingdom's glory. On behalf of our King Jesus, amen. Well, our theme verse for this series comes from the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. And I'm going to ask if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, to open them. And if you don't have your Bible and you want to grab one of the pew Bibles, feel free. And here's where I'm going to ask you to turn. I'm going to ask you to turn to the table of contents. Now, here's why. Because we're going to be looking at the book of Habakkuk. Who knows where Habakkuk is? I have to tell you, I have thumbed through my Bible. I think I can finally find it now. Um, But for the rest of us, let's just go to the table of contents. You're going to find the Old Testament heading, go down the side. Fifth to the last book in the Bible is the book of Habakkuk. And while you're turning there, I'm going to give you a little bit of background information. You see, Israel was a nation that was chosen by God to be a holy people, a people that were set apart for his glory, that they were to be a blessing to all the other nations on the face of the earth because of their relationship with him, the one true God. The problem was is that Israel rejected God and turned from him over and over and over again. And the history of the kings of Israel was characterized by disobedience constant disobedience. Now, they had a few good kings, but the majority of their kings did evil in the sight of the Lord. And as they were doing evil, they turned the people to worshiping idols, idolatry, and away from God. Now, Habakkuk was a prophet during the height of Israel's moral decay. He had lived through a period of national revival, though, under King Josiah. And now he's watching his nation fall to the deepest, darkest place of cultural decay. He was a man of vigorous faith, rooted deeply in the religious traditions of Israel. And he wrestles with the question of why would God let evil go unpunished? And why would he bring calamity on his own people? I want you to picture a man who trusted God, but was perplexed. Habakkuk's prophecy was directed to a people, to a world that through the eyes of God's people must have seemed on the edge of disaster. Sounds oddly relevant to us today, does it not? Well, Habakkuk cries out to God and he offers up two complaints. God responds to his complaints and in his response, he offers a beacon of hope that's not just for Habakkuk, but it's for all of us. So if you'll look at chapter 2, verse 14, and if you're one of those people that writes in your Bible, I'm going to encourage you, underline this. Underline these verses. And if you're not one of those people, or if you have a pew Bible, um, 
That's okay too, you don't have to. Um, so let's read it together. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This one passage states that no matter how bad things get, no matter how broken our world is, no matter how darkness seems to be increasing, that even then, even now, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth. If we choose to believe this and not be overwhelmed by the state of things around us, then we can be motivated to join God in his good work. You see, we have a choice. We can view all of the broken things, people, and places in our world through the eyes of hopelessness. We can let our heart get hard. We can turn away from it. We can turn off the news. We can avoid anything that's going to disrupt our sense of, of peace. We can go into self-protect mode. We can hide away in fear. Oh, it's fearful, scary out there. We can say no to entering into these places as an ambassador for Christ. Or, don't you love it when there's an or? Or we can say yes. We can turn towards Jesus. We can see opportunity to bring God glory by allowing him to use us to be bearers of hope and love and peace and healing and eternal life. Preacher and author George Buttrick said, the same sun that hardens the clay melts the wax. You see, it's our choice whether we're going to let the inevitable suffering and the evil and the darkness around us harden our hearts or soften our hearts. Habakkuk had a choice. He saw the world falling into decay and darkness, and he turned to God, expressed his complaints, his questions, and then he responded in faith. He wrote a prayer, which is the whole third chapter of Habakkuk, and I'm going to skip down to the last couple of verses, 17 and 18, and I'm going to read from the message. It says, though the cherry trees don't blossom and the strawberries don't ripen, though the apples are worm-eaten and the wheat fields stunted, though the sheep pens are sheepless, and the cattle barn's empty. I'm singing joyful praise to God. I'm turning cartwheels of joy to my Savior God, counting on God's rule to prevail. I take heart and gain strength. I run like a deer. I feel like I'm king of the mountain. Habakkuk responded in faith, counting on God's rule to prevail. So how about you? How are you responding to the injustices, the brokenness that surround us? Have you turned away from God? Have you gone into self-protect mode? Saying, no, I'm not going to those places. I'm not talking to those people. It's not for me. It's unsafe. Or have you turned towards it, embracing Jesus and the calling that he's placed on our life? Have you let your heart become hardened? Or are you filled with a soft heart that's full of joy, ready to just be an instrument poured out for him? Many of the folks in this church have responded 
out of a place of a broken heart, a soft heart, a willing heart. And I tell you, God is using this fellowship, Mount Horeb Church, to change the world. And I want to share with you just a little bit about what God is up to through the people of Mount Horeb. As a church, we have the privilege of partnering with 23 local organizations that are doing incredible kingdom work here in our local city and community. 13 missionary families and also 14 global partners. That's a total of 50 partners that we are working with actively, that we trust, that we believe in, that are doing the hard kingdom work. Folks here in this congregation are working with kids and families in poverty here in Lexington building ramps to help the mobility impaired, doing ministry to the homeless, fighting for the unborn, providing services for families experiencing addiction, involved with foster care, adoption services, home building, emergency shelters for women and children, prison ministry, and the list goes on. Folks from this church have responded to the devastation of natural disasters, both here and across the sea, are involved in the fight against global poverty and sex trafficking, supporting the persecuted church, orphan empowerment, child sponsorships, church planting to announce the good news to Hindus, Buddhists, and Muslim people around the globe. As part of the generosity of this church, just this year we have seen 250 backpacks filled with school supplies go to some um, children in our community that would not have had the tools to be successful in school. 400 backpacks of food leave our campus every single week for children in our local community that would be hungry on the weekends otherwise. 709 coats were donated. Over 8,000 pounds of food has been donated to Mission Lexington. Globally, we sponsor 700 children through Compassion International. Last year, we packed 1,100 shoe boxes for Operation Christmas Child. By the way, it's not too late. Grab a box on your way out and bring it back next week. We've provided 1,500 Bibles written in Indonesia for Muslim believers, or soon-to-be believers, we hope, in Indonesia, and have given over $33,000 to disaster relief in the Bahamas. Wow, can you just join me in saying, wow, God is at work in the people of this church. Thank you. Thank you for your generosity. And if you've had any part of that, would you just stand up? If you've served, if you've given, if you've contributed in any way to any of these things that I just mentioned, would you just stand up? I wanna see you. I wanna see you. Can we thank them? Thank you. Thank you, thank you, well done. Well, because of the generosity of this church, and the things that I just um, mentioned are not even the things that are part of our normal missions budget, but the money that you give that goes into the missions budget helps to support partners all over the world. And today I wanna tell you a story about one of our partners. I wanna introduce you to a friend of mine named Rohit. When Rohit was four years old, he was growing up in a tribal village in India. One day when he was out playing, he was kidnapped. He was bound, he was beaten, and he was taken very, very far from his home. He was forced to beg at the Hindu temples in the place where he was, and they moved around a lot. And at night, his kidnapper tied him to him so that there was no hope of his escape. In order to claim him as his property, he branded him with the name of the, of the captor put his name on his arm so that he was seen as property belonging 
to another human being. He was trained how to beg and to steal, and he was offered beatings, starvation, and fear as his reward. At one point, this evil man began to kidnap other children as well. And he would blind them so that there was no hope that they could run away because they wouldn't be able to see. And incidentally, a blind child begging earns a little bit more money than a seeing child. Thankfully, Rohit was spared from that evil. And one night when he was asleep, um, he realized that the rope, I guess he wasn't asleep when he realized, but he had laid down to go to sleep and that the rope that normally had him tied to his captor was not as tight as it normally was. He was able to slip his arm out and he ran as fast as he could. He jumped on a train and he rode it to the end of the line. This train was headed to Pune which just happens to be a city where we have ministry partners. He got off the train and he joined a band of other street children that were there and he did his best to survive. Hungry and alone, he remembers leaning up against a statue of Gandhi and crying out and saying, is there a God that is real? And if so, where is he? Well, in that moment, he felt a hand touch his shoulder. At first he thought it was gonna be the police and they were after him or his captor who was coming for him, but it was my friend Joy. Joy and his brother Sandeep and their other brothers had moved from a tribal village to the city. They were believers. They're part of the lowest caste in all of India, meaning they are the poorest of the poor. The poorest of the poor. They were struggling to make ends meet and to feed themselves, but they had moved so that they could get an education there. And Joy had looked out on the number of street children in his city, and he knew it was not okay with Jesus that there were children who were starving. And so they would take the meager bit that they had, and they would go down to the train station, and they would feed the children until it ran out. And on this day, he had gone down and there was Rohit and he began to feed him. He invited him to come home with him. They told him about Jesus after they'd met his physical needs. And then one day they showed the Jesus film in their language. So he was able to watch this film of the life of Jesus. He was captivated by it. He told me that he watched it over and over and over and over and over again learning who this Jesus was. His heart had been so hard and so untrusting because of the horrible abuse that he had experienced of years of being in captivity. But every time he watched it, he shared that he grew more in love with Jesus. One day he surrendered his life to Christ. He changed his name. He no longer went by the name that was branded on his arm. That's when he took the name Rohit. And he joined Joy and his brothers in their ministry. Now I want you to fast forward to today. Joy and his brother Sandeep are the founders of Hope of Glory Ministry in India. And we have just the amazing privilege to partner with them financially. And our finances enable them to run a home for children that have been rescued off the street, out of the red light district. And they also go into the largest slum in Pune. They plant churches. They do children's ministry. And let me tell you who's the leader of that children's ministry. It's my friend Rohit. You see, his past did not disqualify him for service. 
In fact, it kind of qualified him, right? Because he would be able to look at any child in that slum and be able to say, I know how you feel. I know how you feel. Joy and Sandeep had a choice to turn away from the overwhelming despair and evil in their country, a country with 2% Christian and an estimated 11 million street kids. Or they could press in towards Jesus and allow him to use them. You see, they didn't ask the question, what can I do in this situation? Instead, they asked, what can God do? What can God do? And then they joined him in it. So practically, what does this look like? It's our choice in how we're going to respond to the state of our world, to the darkness that we see, to the hopelessness, to the evil, to the crime, et cetera, et cetera. And I think our response is determined by the direction that we turn. We can turn away. We can turn towards Jesus, right? We've already mentioned that. And as the church, the direction that we are called to turn is Jesus, to Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the answer. He is the key. And when we trust him with our lives, he gives us a new identity and a new calling. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 says, For Christ's love compels us. Because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Hallelujah. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We, you and me, are therefore, because of what Christ has done, because we have been reconciled to him, our sins are forgiven, we've trusted him with our life, he has given us a new identity as his ambassador. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. If you are a follower of Jesus sitting in this room, or if you're on the other side of the screen, you are a new creation and you have a new identity and a new calling. Not only have you been made right with God, has your fellowship with him been restored, but you have been called to be his ambassador so that someone else can experience that same life-saving eternal life. You see, it means that God's mission becomes our mission. And his mission is that there would be restored fellowship between him and all nations, all creation through Jesus Christ. And this reconciliation is holistic. It means making disciples here and there. It means bringing heaven to earth as we fight for justice, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, comfort the hurting. It means that in the face of brokenness, we turn to Jesus, acknowledging that he is Lord 
And then we go where he sends us in the strength and the power that he gives us. We go as ambassadors. And this means that the cause of Christ dictates everything we think, we desire, and we do. The global cause of Christ drives the way we pray, the way we spend our money, the way we spend our lives. We get to choose how we're going to respond to the world around us. You see, Jesus doesn't tie us to him and drag us along where he's going, cause us to beg for crumbs. No, he unleashes us to join him in the work that he's doing. I have this globe over here and these candles. And, you know, we said earlier that George Buttrick said that the same sun that hardens the the clay softens the earth, right? This candle's been burning. You can see it's light, it's flame. It's nice and soft. It's very warm, actually, a little too, too warm. Um, but it reminds me as I stand here with this globe that Genesis 1 opens by saying, darkness covered the earth, but the Spirit of God was hovering there. And he spoke and he said, let there be light and then light broke forth into the world. And here today as New Testament believers who have trusted in Jesus, we have the light of Jesus in our hearts. We talked about the sun can bake the clay or soften the wax. Well, the S-O-N sun, the son of the living God, can break down any barriers in our, that are in our heart that are keeping us from experiencing the joy of serving him on mission can break down the walls of prejudice, can break down the walls of anger, resentment. Anything that's going on in here that isn't honoring and pleasing and ready for our king to use, he can deal with that, right? And when he does, then he invites us to go as his ambassadors and to cover the earth for his glory and for his fame. Today, we're going to begin to gather a 30-day devotional as a church. And each entry in the devotional is written by one of our ministry partners or someone from this church that is out there making a kingdom impact. And they're sharing their stories with us. And I really encourage that all of you pick one of those up and participate. You see, I believe that God wants to use this devotional and this series to do three things. Number one, learn learn. In, in each one of these entries over the next 30 days, there's a scripture, God's word written out for us. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Some of the verses are going to be real familiar, but don't just skim over them. So I've read this before. Instead, sit with it. Invite Jesus into that place. Ask him to show you where you fit in that verse, in his word. What's your place there? Meditate on it. Write it down. Take it with you. Learn it. Enflesh it. Learn what God has to say about his heart for the world. And then also, there's some information there on, on every page that will help you learn something that will increase your IQ in regards to the world around us. Poverty. Global lostness. So learn. Because I believe that sometimes our heart follows our head, right? So we're going to engage our minds. Secondly, we're going to pray. 
Prayer is not the least we can do, but it's often the most we can do. It is the primary work of God's people when it comes to mission. Habakkuk knew that. You know, he begins his prayer of faith in chapter 3 with these words in verse 2. Again from the message, God, I've heard what our ancestors say about you, and I'm stopped in my tracks, down on my knees. Do among us today what you did among them. Work among us as you worked among them. He was crying out to God to do in his day what he knew God had done throughout the history of Israel, parting the Red Sea, setting the captives free, all of the things that we can read about, the miracles. He was asking God for it. Let's get on our knees. Let's ask God to renew that in our day, to do things that will leave the world speechless, that will leave us speechless. We've got to pray. On the day that Rohit leaned up against the Gandhi statue, was the day that Joy, in his house on his knees, prayed that God would use him to save just one, just one. God told him to go, to take some bread and go, and he went, and there was a boy who's praying what? God, where are you? God connected the dots when he joined him in prayer. Prayer. And then finally, serve. And I have an audacious statement that I'm going to make right now. Are you ready? I believe that God wants 100% of the people of this church, of Mount Horeb, to turn towards him, to receive your call, if you haven't already, and then to go and serve him. It may be across the street. It may be across the city. It may be over the hill and through the woods to grandmother's house if grandmama doesn't know Jesus, right? But we're going to go where he sends us. For some of us, it may mean to the ends of the earth. But we all have a place and we all have a mission. Locally, we have a ministry here called the 1010 Bridge, and it serves children here in our local community, many of which are fatherless. And... Last Tuesday, I happened by as they were singing worship songs. One of our contemporary worship folks leads them in worship. And there are two little children that from the very first day we met them, we called precious opportunities because they were bullies. They fought. They came from so much darkness and mess that they didn't even know what right choices were. And we've got some folks who've walked alongside them who have loved them with an outpouring of love. And as Alex started to sing, Good, Good Father, I watched one and then the other stand up and start clapping and singing. Because in this place, they've learned that even though they may not have an earthly father that's with them, they have a heavenly father who will never leave them. So there are opportunities, men, for you guys to step in and be a dad to a kid that may need a dad opportunities. You'll learn about them in the devotion. But I just want to end with these words. God gave me this, 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 just this week I was reading it, and it's from a missionary who was writing back to his mission society. And he said, but I am weary. I've only written because I'm too weary to be working now and too tired to sleep. I'm getting prematurely old, they tell me, and doctors do not give me long to live unless the strain is eased a bit. 
My wife is wearier than I am. She needs complete rest for a while. Oh, that the church at home, but realized one half of the opportunities of today. Will no one hear the call? Please do your best to help us. The swiftly passing opportunities of their day were always before them, and they were crying out to God to send more workers because the harvest was plentiful, but the workers were few. And so today, as we end our time together, I'm just going to ask that you participate over this next 30 days in these devotions, that we go before the Father together, that we seek His face, we turn towards Him, and then we're willing to do anything He asks us to, all for the sake of our King. We'll grow the ministries we have, we'll start new ones, we'll send people. A waiting list for our trips would be amazing. There are workers crying out. There are children crying out for Jesus. And God is saying, will you go? So let's pray. Father God, uh, may we respond to you with just a resounding, here I am, send me. Lord, would you do something in our day that leaves us speechless? Would your name be written literally in a banner across the sky where everyone will know that you are Lord? May this church, God, may we be effective. May we be willing to go wherever you send us, to do whatever you ask us, even if it doesn't make sense at the time, even if we feel disqualified or feel we don't have enough of something, may we press into you, turn to you, and allow you to use us. Jesus, thank you that you saved each one of us. Thank you that you love us, that you see us, that you're for us, that you're with us, and that nothing can separate us from your love. And so it is in the precious and the holy and the beautiful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.